groans of Israel have not fallen on deaf ears. God is about to act, and he's going to start with a burning bush and a shepherd in Midian. On the Bible Brief. God has heard his people's cry. And he's not only heard their cry, he's seen their affliction. God has seen the genocide of the little Hebrew boys. He's seen the slavery, the anguish of his people, the building that they'd had to endure under the whips of the Egyptians. God knows, and God remembers. The Egyptians had forgotten Joseph, and forgotten Joseph's God. And even some of the Israelites began to forget. But God remembered. He remembered that covenant that he had made with Abraham, confirmed to Isaac and again to Jacob. The covenant of land, seed, and blessing. The land of Canaan, seed in abundance, and blessing to all the nations of the world. God remembered his promise, and he remembered his people, all of his people. Even that man who had run away from Egypt so many years ago. It had been 40 years for Moses, four decades since he had fled the only home he'd ever known for this land of Midian. For most, those decades in the desert would have sanded away the memories, but probably not for Moses. Every time he'd heard the news from that distant land of Egypt through some itinerant shepherds, he probably had a sting in his heart. He'd remember his sister Miriam, who had helped save his life when all the other young Hebrew boys were killed. He'd remember his brother Aaron, who had at least begun to show him the ropes of life before Moses had been given to Pharaoh's daughter. He'd remember the slavery of his people. But 40 years was a long time for any life. At this point, he'd spent as much of his life in this Midian desert as he had in Egypt before. Midian was now just as much of a home as Egypt had ever been. He had a life here. He had a wife here and children too. At 80, Moses probably thought that his life was on the downhill. He was getting older. Maybe his joints were feeling how joints feel when they age. Perhaps it was getting a little tough to hold on to his shepherd's staff. Moses could have never guessed that the last years of his life would be anything but downhill. When God is involved, age is just a number. And God would use 80-year-old Moses to save the innumerable people of the nation of Israel. Let's read beginning in Exodus chapter 3. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. He said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Put yourself in Moses' shoes as he sees this burning bush not being burned up. And suddenly a voice comes from the bush. 
a voice that knows your name, a voice that apparently hadn't been heard by a soul for 400 years. The last person to hear that voice was Jacob, Israel himself. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, the land of Canaan. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God said, But I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. These statements are about as significant as it gets. God has heard his people's cry and he knows their sufferings. God is going to deliver them from their Egyptian slavery and he's going to lead them to the land of Canaan, which he describes as a land flowing with milk and honey. And God is going to use Moses to do it. But don't miss something here that's subtle but critically important. When Moses humbly asks, who am I to do this? God begins his reply with just a small statement, a statement that we heard from God during the lives of the fathers in the book of Genesis. God says, I will be with you. I will be with you. Is that not a statement that could tear down every wall in front of a person? I will be with you when you go before Pharaoh. I will be with you when you lead the people out of Egypt. I will be with you when you bring them back to this mountain to worship me. Over a thousand years later, the same words would be spoken by Jesus to his disciples too. I will be with you, even to the end of the age. God will be with Moses, but this monumental conversation isn't done yet. Let's keep reading. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Here in Exodus 3, we have perhaps one of the most impactful moments in all of the Bible. Upon Moses' question about the essence of God and God's name, God replies in a way that communicates volumes in just a few words. God reveals his name as a derivation of the Hebrew verb hayah, which means to be. This derivation is God's name, Yahweh, composed of four Hebrew consonants. Now, different English translations treat this name a bit differently. Some render it, I am that I am. Some, I am who I am. And even others, 
I am who I will be. It's with this collection of translations that we can get best to the meaning here. God had said to Moses that, I will be with you, and here with God's name, we get something more. God is. God is present, has been present, and will always be present. His I will be with you is not a temporary offer for Moses in this moment. It's an everlasting offer. He is a God who is always present, always near. God's I will be with you is not an abnormal statement of proximity. It's a description of God's very character. God tells Moses his name and reveals his character through his name. God says that he will always be known and remembered as Yahweh, I am. Yahweh is sending Moses to the people of Israel to tell them of their soon deliverance. And he's sending Moses to Pharaoh to demand the release of his people. But will Pharaoh listen to Moses' demands? God already has that answer. He says this, I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give the people of Israel favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each Israelite woman shall ask of her Egyptian neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. God is doing something bigger than saving his people. He's even giving them a sort of recompense for their labor for the Egyptians. Though Pharaoh will resist letting the people of Israel leave Egypt, when they finally do, they'll take with them the wealth of the Egyptians. Wealth that was at least partially enabled by the labor of the Israelites themselves. But before that, God will strike Egypt with wonders of judgment. Wonders that will spell devastation upon Egypt. Moses then interjects and demonstrates a fear that the Israelites won't believe him when he comes to tell them what's about to happen. He knows that he's been away 40 years, and they perhaps have no reason to trust this man who's been away from them and away from the Egyptian slavery for 40 years. Let's listen. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. God provided a miraculous sign for Moses to use in front of the Israelites. He would use it to prove that he had indeed been commissioned by God for their deliverance. And besides this sign of the staff turning into a serpent, God gives him two more signs as well. The second sign involved a temporary skin disease on Moses' hand, which God would restore when Moses followed God's instructions. And the third sign is that Moses will pour out water from the Nile River that will turn into blood on dry ground. God has given Moses three miracles 
to prove himself in front of the people of Israel. But Moses isn't done with potential excuses. First he had said, Who am I to go? Next he said, What if they don't believe me? But for this third excuse, he really stretches. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But Moses said, O my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff, with which you shall do the signs. It may shock us to think of Moses as someone who didn't want to be used by God. He perhaps wanted his peace and quiet, his shepherding life in the land of Midian. Maybe in this moment, he simply wished he'd passed by that odd burning bush. But God had other plans for Moses. Moses and his brother Aaron would go before the Israelites and the Egyptians. Aaron with his voice, Moses with his signs. Moses would be taking on one of the most powerful nations in the world. He'd bring his staff and he'd bring his brother. But what would the Israelites say? What would Pharaoh say as Moses brought Yahweh's demands before the supposed God King? Let's just say, before things get better, they get worse. A lot worse. Join us next time as we see the slavery of the Israelites intensify as Pharaoh says to Moses, Who is Yahweh that I should obey him? The Bible Brief is brought to you by the Bible Literacy Foundation, dedicated to helping people like you learn the Bible.